If we haven't met yet, my name is Dylan Braddock, and I serve as the discipleship pastor here at the Story Church. And I'm really excited to be with y'all tonight on Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. Um, so before you guys think that I'm an awful husband, um, I was planning around this. When, I, when we planned our wedding date a few years ago, I knew that there was a small chance that Ash Wednesday and Valentine's could overlap twice every century. So we got married on February 15th. So instead of celebrating Valentine's tonight, we'll be celebrating our four-year wedding anniversary um, tomorrow evening. So yeah, that's me and Jess, yeah. Thank you. That made my heart kind of warm. I don't know why. I just feel really good. I love my wife. So happy Valentine's Day, dear. Um, but yeah, for, for real though, Pastor Eric said it. Like, thank y'all so much for being here tonight. I know you could be a million other places right now. You could have just walked to Giacomo's and got some Italian food or went and got steak and wine, but you chose to be here. And that really means something. That kind of shows where your heart is and where you want to be this evening. But I know a lot of y'all may have came directly after work and you might not have had time to buy Valentine's Day cards, which could be a big issue in your home. So what I wanted to do for y'all tonight is to give you some free Valentine's slash Ash Wednesday cards that you can give to your spouse after this meeting. Y'all wanna see them? They're really great. Here's the first one. It says, uh, roses are red, but I wouldn't know because I gave alms to the poor instead of buying new flowers. So if you forgot to buy flowers today, because I went to H-E-B and they're like 50 bucks to jack them up on Valentine's Day. Just say that I gave to the poor instead, dear. I still love you. Or this second card might be a little more heartfelt. Um, this one says, dear Valentine, I gave up sweet things for Lent. See you on Easter. Um, I, think, I think that one's kind of cute. Um, and these aren't original. I didn't work all week on these. I want you to know. Um, I actually found them on a Catholic mom blog, which I usually don't spend my free time on Catholic mom blogs. I promise. Like that's not where I shop or anything. But when I was researching Ash Wednesday this week, almost every like YouTube video or every link I found online was all Catholic theologians. It was all our Catholic brothers and sisters. And I didn't find much um, from like anything else. And that makes sense. That goes along with my church tradition. Um, for many of y'all know, I grew up non-denominational, and then I was Southern Baptist for a long time. And in neither of those denominations do we celebrate Ash Wednesday. Like the only thing I knew about Ash Wednesday was when all my Catholic friends would come to school with a big cross on their heads saying they weren't eating chocolate for the next two months. And that might be helpful to the dentists in the room, but I don't know how that really brings the rest of us closer to God. So if you're here tonight, and you have no idea what Ash Wednesday is, you don't know why you're here, I want you to know you're in good company. Like I was there less than a decade ago, but once I started to really like grasp the significance of Ash Wednesday, I made a complete 180. And now, I'm not even kidding, this is my favorite service of the entire year. I think Ash Wednesday is so critical in us understanding the beauty and the love on Easter Sunday. So by being here tonight, by walking into Lent together, we are getting ready. We are preparing our hearts for the miracle ahead of us. So whether you grew up going to Ash Wednesday every year or if it's your first time, I'm really glad you're here tonight. This evening, we're gonna talk about why we rub dirt on each other's faces, um, why people give up things for Lent, and most importantly, what is the real significance of this day? So we don't have to search far in our Bibles to find answers. If you have your Bibles, 
You can literally open them with me to the second page, page two, Genesis two. And this is where we get the idea of ash from. So in Genesis two, chapter seven, the Lord is making man. And it says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So we are all made of dust, of dirt, which isn't the most like prestigious natural resource out there. Like I prefer to think we were like chiseled out of marble. Like I feel like that'd be a lot more encouraging, but we're made of dust. But the good news is we're made of good dust. Like when God made the earth, he said, it is good. And he breathed his life into us. So being made of dust isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's dust that God made and God formed and God breathed into. But the bad news is that dust wasn't good for that long. Just flip over one more page of your Bible. And in Genesis 3, um, verse 17, we see this goodness kind of fell away. So after Adam and Eve eat the apple, this is what the Lord says to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until, the return, until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So if you've been to Ash Wednesday before, that is a refrain you've probably heard before. I remember going to my first Ash Wednesday service in college and kind of being shocked when someone told me, from dust you came and to dust you'll return. I was like, this isn't a very happy service. Like, what's the point here? And I, I remember leaving that service and the only thing I took away was life is short, so I better live it up. <laughs> like YOLO was my takeaway from Ash Wednesday. Like you're all, you're one day closer to death. You might as well cherish every, every moment you got. And sure, remembering our mortality and remembering that life is short is a crucial part of Ash Wednesday. But I've come to see that Ash Wednesday is so much deeper than that. Ash Wednesday is not just about our death, but Ash Wednesday is about reflecting on the sin that leads to death. And I know that only sounds slightly different, but it isn't. We aren't here right now just to think about death. We're not here right now to talk about one day you will die. We are here right now to contemplate our sin that leads to death. And when you read about ash and repentance and sin in the Bible, they usually always come together. Every time you read about ash or dirt, people are repenting of their sins. It's a theme you find in scripture from cover to cover. I mean, think about Jonah. When Jonah preaches to the city of Nineveh of all their wickedness, and they finally become aware of what they've done, the leader of the town tells everyone to wear sackcloth and lay in the dust so that God will be gracious to them. Or in Job, another very famous story, after Job and his friends question God for 30 chapters, God responds in this beautiful, beautiful poem about his majesty. And the only thing that Job can say in return is this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. If you do a word study in your Bible, every time you find the phrase dust or ashes, 
you will see the word repent. They go hand in hand. But one of the most interesting passages I found for this Ash Wednesday was actually found in Ezekiel chapter nine. And it's not necessarily about ash, but it is about our foreheads. So Ezekiel chapter nine is a passage that I'd never actually studied before, um, but it's a really fascinating chapter. In it, you have this vision of God judging Jerusalem, of God judging the holy city. And to judge the holy city, God gets these seven angels, these seven figures together. And six of them are described as having deadly weapons in their hand. That's how they're described. And the other person is dressed in white, and they have a writing tool and a pen. And God tells this this messenger with the writing tool to go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all of the detestable things that are done in it. So God tells this angel to go around the city and mark the people who have repented of the detestable things going on in their city. And then the men with the weapons I talked about earlier, they go behind this messenger and they slaughter everyone who is not wearing this mark. Kind of a terrifying vision, right? Not the most uplifting story in our Bibles. But I think it's one that all the time we skip over. We kind of skip over these violent, tough passages when God judges our sins. And by doing this, I think we sometimes overlook how seriously God takes our sin and how critical repentance is. Look, I think we can all agree that sin is a problem. You've heard hundreds of pastors like me tell you, you are a sinner, repent. You've probably been to Texans or Astros games and you've seen guys on the side of the road yelling, repent of your sins, repent of your sins, you're a sinner. You probably might even know Bible verses, like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think all of us all intellectually understand that we are sinners, but honestly, I don't think we get the gravity of our sin. Like like we know we're sinners in our heads, but we don't feel it in our hearts. We're not really bothered by our sin. We just kind of treat it like it's there. And I think churches have fallen in the same trap where we don't really talk about sin as much anymore. And because churches aren't talking about it anymore, we aren't addressing it in our own hearts. Confessionally, I know personally that I don't see the ugliness of my own sin. Like this week, I have been so convicted that I do not hate sin like God hates sin. I don't burn with anger at my sin. Instead of that, I sanitize it. Or I compare to someone else's sin to make me feel better. And we all do this. We all compare sins. Like I'll say, you know, I'm greedy, but I drive a Subaru, so I can't be that greedy. Or, you know, I I get angry sometimes, but I don't raise my voice or I don't break anything. So my anger is not that bad. Or, you know, I have lustful thoughts, but I never cheat on my wife. Or I know there are proud people out there, but I'm the most humble guy in the room. That one was a joke. I'm I'm not that humble. (laughs) But that's what we do with our sin. We compare it. We sanitize it. We minimize it. And every time we do that, every time we take our sin and act like it's not that serious, the enemy wins. The enemy wins every time we look at our sin and go, it's not that bad. 
I'm okay. Every time we take the attitude to the sin in our life, we're letting it grow stronger and stronger within us. And that's why we say the enemy is a deceptive liar. Because the enemy, the devil, doesn't want you to see your sin. He wants your sin to remain hidden, comfortable. And when we're blind to our sin, that's when it has the most control over us. As C.S. Lewis said, the safest road to hell is the slow and gradual one. And that's what happens when we are blind to our sin. In one of my favorite all-time books, Life Together, Bonhoeffer describes the effects of sin this way. He says, sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. Sin is dangerous when it's hidden, when it's overlooked, and when it's undiagnosed. Because if you're not aware of your sin, then you can't be healed of it. And Jesus said this exact thing, his very self, in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus told his disciples, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come for the perfect. He didn't come for those in church. He didn't come for the godly. He didn't come for the self-righteous. Jesus came for the sinners. That's us. We are the sinners. We are the sick. We are the ones that he has come for. But a lot of the time, we just don't realize we're sick or we don't think our sickness is that bad. You know, like most men, I will do everything I can to avoid the doctor. Anyone else hate the doctor in here? I'm sorry if there's doctors in the room. I didn't mean that. Men typically avoid the doctor at all costs. Why? Because we don't think we need help. We think we got it covered. The only time I will ever go to the doctor is if I'm in such a rough spot that I know I cannot help myself. And this happened a couple of years ago. It was, I think, 2021. It was during the Christmas season. And one morning, I woke up with a double whammy, COVID and the flu. And I felt so bad. I remember laying in bed and like rolling to the edge and like rolling off my bed into my dog's bed, like reaching up for my phone and getting an appointment at the urgent care. And Jessica looked at me and she's like, wow, you must be really sick. Like if you're going to the doctor, this must be bad. And it was, like I was sick, sick. And I knew in that moment that I needed help outside of myself. I was so miserable, so worthless, so empty that I had to go to someone else. And this is what Jesus says, this is how Jesus says we should view our sin. We should be that sick of our sin. We should feel that worthless, that beaten down, that angry about our sin, that we go to the only one who can save us. And that is Jesus. But we live in this culture that's obsessed with self-righteousness and self-image and self-care. So most of us never get to the point where we actually ask for help. Most of us never get to the point where we feel needy and dependent. We never get so sick of our sin that we beat our chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
We're too busy telling ourselves, I'm good, I got it together, I'm worthy. But it's impossible for the cross to shape your life if you don't think you need it. If you don't realize that you are a sinner who needs saving. And that is why Ash Wednesday is so important. Tonight, you have this really unique opportunity to be real about your sin, to look it in the mirror and realize it for what it is. You've chosen to be here for an hour tonight rather than getting dinner, rather than being with your Valentine because you realize sin is a problem. So tonight you have the opportunity to address it, to repent of it, and to confess it to God. And I know repentance is like this scary word that we don't like to talk about, but repentance is the very first word that both Jesus and John the Baptist share in their first sermon. That's how central it is to the gospel. And repentance doesn't have to be this formula. It doesn't have to be this special prayer. All you need to do to repent is say, God, I've messed up. I'm sick. I'm worthless. I've sinned. I deserve eternal punishment. I deserve hell. But Jesus, you've given me something better. You've given me life. You've given me abundance. And you can do that tonight. That's why when we administer the ashes here at the story, we say, repent and believe in the gospel. That is what Ash Wednesday is about. It is the doorway to Lent, and it is our introduction to Easter. Because we don't want tonight to be just a blimp on the radar. We don't want tonight to be just a one day of spiritual awareness of our sin. We believe that's what the season of Lent is for. This is the start of the most beautiful Easter of your entire life, but the only way you can experience the tomb, the empty tomb, and all of its glory and majesty is if you're real about your sin. And I know a lot of people will ask us, like, am I supposed to give up, give up something for Lent? What do I give up for Lent? Do I give up sweets? Do I give up chocolate? That's up to you. I mean, I walked into our... Um, high school girls small group this Sunday and they were talking about the things they wanted to give up for Lent. And they were all going around the room and, and one of our girls, she was dead serious. She said, this year for Lent, I'm giving up hot water. <laughs> and everyone, everyone looked at her and was like, you're giving up what? Like for tea? Like what are you talking about hot water? And she went on to explain that every day, she spends about an hour in the shower. And I think this is pretty typical for high school girls. I don't have one, so I don't know, but it seems like a common trend. And she said, I've realized that I waste so much time in the shower. And if I can just spend half of that time reading my Bible or praying, I'll be better for it. And you know, you might think that's a silly example, giving up hot water, but I think she gets it. I think she gets what Lent is really about because we don't fast to make ourselves better Christians or to make God love us more or to be more holy. We fast so that we can feast on God's goodness. And I'll be transparent with y'all. The thing that I have decided to fast of this year is alcohol. And it's not because I'm a raging alcoholic and drinking too much every single night, but it is because that I feel like alcohol has taken too much of a priority in my life. Like, like on Friday, after a long day of work, I'm just looking forward to that one beer. I'm like, oh, if I can just have a beer on Friday night, everything will be better. Or I realize it's just a crutch. 
like emotionally and spiritually, I feel like if I have a beer or two the night before, I'm just less emotionally and spiritually aware the next morning. So I don't know what it is for you. I'm not telling you to copy me, but I do think everyone needs to check themselves and see what is something that is blocking my relationship with Christ. What is something that is getting in the way between me and my relationship with God? Because nothing is too extreme if it brings you closer to the Father. And I promise, if you give up that thing and spend the next 40 or more days just feasting on God's word, you will have the most beautiful Easter of your entire life. Because you'll get it. You'll be prepared. To close this evening, I wanna bring us back to that crazy vision we read earlier in Ezekiel chapter nine, the one with the angel riding on people's foreheads and the other angels with swords. Some of y'all are probably hoping I wouldn't talk about that again, but I think we need to. The word mark that the angel is told to write on people's heads is actually a Hebrew letter. It's just one letter. It's ta, which is the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And y'all, I'll be honest, Hebrew was my worst class in seminary. I barely passed Hebrew, but I know enough to know this, that, that ta, and I have a picture of it up here, um, it kind of looks like a cursive R, an N. I don't know what you would say that looked like, probably an N or an R. And the angel was told to make this mark on everyone's forehead who lamented of their sins. So if you repented of your sins, you got this mark on your forehead. Now we know that language usually changes throughout time. Language changes, words change, letters change. I mean, read a King James Bible, right? It's very different. Or look even back and look at old English. It's impossible to read because that's how language advances over time. So the word for mark looks like this in modern um, Hebrew. But if you look back to when the prophet Ezekiel was writing in 600 BC, this is what the letter would have actually looked like. In Middle Hebrew, it was an X, and back to the earliest forms of Hebrew, Hebrew, it was a cross. The church father Tertullian picked up on this back in the third century, and he remarked that God gave Ezekiel a vision of the very form of a cross on people's heads. Do you see how like remarkable this is? How crazy this is? That 500 years before Jesus even came, that people were being marked with the sign of the cross for the forgiveness of sins. The crucifixion had not even been invented yet. This was like 100 years before crucifixion began to become a popular form of torture and killing. But God, in his infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge, used the, the picture of a cross to forgive the Israelites of their sins, the exact same shape that Jesus would die on so that each one of us could have new life. That is what Ash Wednesday is really about. It's about the cross. As we come forward here in a moment and you get that ash on your head in the shape of a cross, we remember that Easter is coming, that Jesus came for me and you. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He didn't come for the proud. He came for the sinful and he came for the sick. Are you sick of your sin tonight? Because you have the opportunity to confess it to God and find freedom that can only be found in Jesus. 
Because when we become aware of the depth of our sin, we become that much more aware of the height and depth and width of God's love. You know, I used to think that the closer I got to Jesus, the the less I'd think about my sin, but I've actually thought about the opposite. Like the more and more time I spend with Jesus, the more and more I become aware of my sin, but the more and more I become aware of God's grace. It's actually in seeing our sin that we realize how much God truly loves us. So I pray that this Easter will be the most meaningful Easter season of your entire life because you look at your sin and the raw, ugly, and real way it is taking over in your life so that you can repent of it and begin to catch a glimpse of God's unfathomable love. Would you pray with me? God, we, we thank you for your infinite wisdom and knowledge in all the ways as we read scripture and we're reminded that you had a plan from the beginning, God. Jesus was not a plan B. The cross was not a plan B. God, you had this in your mind before time even existed. You knew how you would save us. You knew that Jesus would come and die for us so that we can be forgiven and find new life in you. God, I pray that, that this, this Lenten season, the next 40 days, would just be a day where we can just be serious, God. Draw a line in the sand. Take our discipleship seriously and let go of the things that are impeding us from having a relationship with you so that we can feast on your goodness, God. Let this be the most impactful Easter of our life because we've gone through the depth of our hearts and become aware of our sin and repented, God because you have something that is so much greater and so much better for us. So God, let us let go of the things of the past so that we can walk in your light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.